just ask you to turn in your Bibles, it's been mentioned already, to uh, Luke chapter 10, begin reading from verse 25. We're looking today, as Alex mentioned, at overcoming apathy, and uh, this is as good a passage as any to begin to explore that theme together. And we're reading Luke 10, 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we read on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor of the man to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank God for his word. <coughs> Father, every time that we come into your presence, we know that your desire is to speak into our hearts. Your desire is to renew us and refresh us and to send us out again in ministry to this world. Father, we pray that you will do your work in the hearts of each of your people gathered here this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we, we live today in an increasingly needy world. The, the latest statistics that, that I could find suggested that every day 26,000 children die either of starvation or of illnesses associated with malnutrition. That three billion people, that is half of the world's population, live today at subsistence survival level on less than two pounds per day. And yet, at the same time, two billion people are considered to be obese. With 13% of these people living in the United States, but amazingly, at least I found it amazing, 15% of obese people living in either China or India. 
But, you know, with increasing population growth and more and more war zones in our world, well, there doesn't seem to be any signs of things getting any better in terms of need or in terms of the weak being exploited by the strong. And when you then add into this the fact that today we live in an information age, that news stories, images related to these stories, and numbers, statistics, etc., are now available to us in a way they have never been until fairly recent human history. Well, so people today are talking about things like compassion fatigue as a modern phenomenon. Meaning that people are saying that the others that we've become so used to, to seeing horrific images, to hearing horrific stories, that we've become hardened to this. Or that the sheer size and scope of the problems in our world seem to some to be just so overwhelming that they simply switch off, they withdraw, they give up. What I want to suggest to you is that perhaps in its extent that this is a modern phenomenon. But, you know, the underlying problem here, the problem of apathy, is actually one that's been around since human beings have been around. And it's one that, while it's perhaps most marked, most noticeable in, in the way that, that we react to people in need, yet apathy is actually an attitude that can soon affect every part of our life that can very soon become just a kind of total lifestyle where nothing, or at least very little, moves us deeply, where our general outlook and approach to life is listlessness, if not just one of outright bored disinterest. Apathy is a disease in our country today, I believe, and it's a disease that is running rampant in the church. So is there anything that we can do about this? Well, I believe that there is. I believe that we can overcome apathy. And that a good place to begin to discover how this can be done is in Luke 10, and probably this the, the best known of all of the parables of Jesus, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's just try and picture this and and get it into our 21st century minds. This story as it was first understood by its initial first century Jewish audience. So what we have then is a first century Jewish traveller who's basically mugged in Jewish territory. He's stripped of all that he has that is of any worth and he's left barely clinging to life at the side of the road. But then comes the good news. Because as we look down the road, it seems as if the cavalry is on its way. It seems as if this man is indeed blessed. For coming down the road toward him, just one a little in front of the other, are two men who are representatives of two of the leading religious groups in the land at that time. First of all, there was a priest. A priest, one of the main men in the worship of the temple. A man who's supposed to be so close to God. This man will help. Surely he'll help. But no, he doesn't. He just keeps on walking. But not only that, he actually crosses to the other side of the road to get as far away from this injured man as he possibly 
can. Now, I don't know, maybe a, a sense of fear contributed to this. Perhaps he was afraid that the men who'd robbed this man, that they were still nearby and he didn't want to be their next victim. Maybe that. Or maybe he felt that to touch this dirty, battered, bloody, maybe even dead man, that to touch him would make him ceremonially impure and so unfit as a priest to serve in the temple. And he couldn't allow this to happen. Oh, no. Now, in the end, we don't know all the different factors that perhaps contributed to this priest just passing by on the other side. We don't know it all. But what we do know is that whatever these factors actually were, that his compassion was not such that it overcame them. Not to worry, though. For next, just a little bit down the road, there comes the Levite. Now, the Levites were really, in a way, I don't like to use the term because I don't like it anyway, but anyway, they were really the equivalent to the leading layman in the Jewish religion. These were the men who basically assisted the priests in the worship of the temple. And, you know, you could almost hear these first-century Jewish listeners gathered round saying, oh, well, I didn't trust those priests very much anyway. I always thought there were a lot of fun and show and all their fancy outfits. But here comes some delicas, but one of the cream of the crop, one of the leading men among us, and he's going to put things right. But wait, he doesn't. No, he does exactly the same. He passes by on the other side. But then, as we look into the distance, we can see another figure coming into view. No chance here, they think. No chance. Because this isn't a religious man at all. No, it's probably our equivalent of a businessman on his way to cut a deal. And worse than that, he's a Samaritan. He's a member of an ethnic group who were hated and despised by the Jews. What can we expect from the likes of him? But then there comes the moment when the jaws drop. For this of all men is the man who stops to help. Yes, this man felt something in his heart, came to a conclusion in his head, and then did something with his hands. He felt compassion. He then bound this man's wounds, took him to our equivalent of a hotel, left cash, and then said, if there's any extra expense, I'll come back. And settle the bill. And Jesus then rounds it all off by saying, You do likewise. Saying, I want your heart to work like this. I want your mind to think like this. I want your hands to be ready to get dirty like this. So how then can we make sure that this is the case in our lives? How can we make sure that our hearts, our heads, our hands are working like this man's, this Samaritan's, rather than like the priest or the Levite? How can we do an apathy check, an apathy review of our lives? And how, do, having done that, can we overcome and keep on overcoming apathy? Well, I believe we need to, to start with the heart. For that's where... The problem begins. That's where apathy has got its roots. 
in the human heart. And so let's make sure then that we first get a hold of the point that Jesus is making here. That it's possible to be very religious. Because people do religion for a whole variety of reasons. Tradition, respectability, pride. And it's even possible to have a basic Christian commitment. But to be not living now in a close personal relationship with Jesus. For you see, if our hearts are to be touched by human need in the way that God wants them to be, then they have to be opened up and continuously filled up with the love of Jesus. And religion won't do that. Only a living relationship with Jesus Christ will. 1 John 4 verse 9 says that, it says, we love. That is, we have the capacity to love as God wants us to love. Because he first loved us. You see, we need that touch of the love of God that then touches and fills and renews our hearts. And we need that touch today. We need that now. What God did yesterday is not enough. What we knew of him a year ago or ten years ago or further back is not enough. No, we need to be touched and filled again with his love right now. If today we are to love as he wants us to love. And of course, here the the converse is also true. In that if our hearts are not constantly touched by God's love, then our lives will fall back into patterns of apathy. And apathy, by the way, just doesn't just affect our attitude to the needy no given time it it touches and affects the whole of our life so our attitude to worship prayer service evangelism these things don't touch us really anymore don't concern us greatly but we know that they should do and we're perhaps able to to trot out the right cliches when we have to about the importance of worship and prayer and evangelism etc but you know our words don't really accurately reflect what's going on in our hearts. For we are no longer deeply moved, no longer truly concerned about these things. And often this can just overflow into our life and our lifestyle in general, into our attitude towards work, into our relationships with our family, our friends, or towards our neighbours and workmates. We're listless, disinterested, We don't really care, or at least we know we don't care in the way we should. We care maybe about people to the extent that we need them. We care maybe about things to the extent that they touch and affect our lives. But it is all so selfish, and it shows that our lives aren't really in the grip of the selfless love of Jesus. I'll ask, does this ring true for anybody here? Has it been so long since your heart has felt the fresh touch of the grace of God that it's just shriveled up and grown cold? It's has apathy got a hold of your life. Well, you know, there's no simple ABC uh, answer to how to, to fix this. There's no quick three-step solution. 
But I do believe that there are certain things that we can do. And there are certain places that we can be that can help to spark the process off that can then play a big part in the renewal of our hearts and in our growth in love. If you see, throughout Christian history, the experience of God's people is that hearts that have grown are hearts that have been engaged in certain practices. Yes, so it's by doing worship, and that is not just by going along, not just by opening up our Bible, but by refusing to give up, by refusing to get up until we have met with God, until God has touched our hearts. That's a great way to breathe new life and new love into our hearts. It's by seeking to learn more from God's Word, to learn more from the Bible and more from some of the great Christian books that are available. It says we do this and refuse to give up again until God has met with us. That we open up our hearts to new truth, new Christian spiritual experience. And as we do so, well, so then God's love flows through these new channels that have been opened up. And also it's by engaging in relationships with Christians who are on fire for God. It's by getting close to these Christians, mature Christians, around whom there's an almost palpable sense of the presence of the Lord and the greatness of his love. Get involved with these Christians. Get alongside them. And you'll find that their fire begins to touch and affect your life. Get close to these Christians. And you'll find that the love that's in their heart somehow begins to flow in your heart as well. And as for being in the the right place, well, notice in the parable of the Good Samaritan that in contrast to the priest and the Levite who passed by on the other side, that this Samaritan, he got up close to this man in his need. Now, I believe the experience of so many of God's people is that if we do that, if we get up close to need, then that does something in our hearts when you just hear about problems even when we hear about people in need well so often you know that's the level that they remain at there are problems and stories that you keep at arm's length but when we get up close to people in need and when we begin to learn their stories when we begin to learn their histories when we learn, begin to learn about the different factors and experience in their life that have combined together to make them the person that they are, well, that then touches our hearts and that causes love to begin to flow. My friends, I tell you, we need to get close to people in need. We need to get out of that that Christian ghetto mentality and we need to get closer to the people around us, our neighbours, our colleagues, even further out who are in need. We need to get involved with the needy groups in our community. I mean, Jesus, Jesus tells us to be separate from the sin of the world, but not from the people of the world. Now, of course, we do need to take care here. We need to make sure that we're not being tempted and drawn into sin. We need to constantly check our lives and ensure that Jesus truly is Lord of our lives. But we cannot let fear of the world stop us ministering to the world. I mean, what does the scripture 
1 John 4 and the song that is based on that, what do they tell us? That he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Let's never forget that our God is the God of victory. This is who we trust in. This is who we follow. Let's move on. You see, some of us don't have a problem with our heart. No, our hearts are working just fine. Rather, we have a a head problem. We have a a mind problem in that we're simply overwhelmed by the statistics. We're simply overwhelmed by the sheer scope and scale of need in our world. And so as we look at this and then we look at ourselves and our gifts and resources and abilities, we look maybe at the amount of disposable cash that we've got available to give and we think, why bother? Why bother? What difference can I make? Well, you know, at the time Jesus spoke here, muggings and robberies of this kind were fairly commonplace in Israel. And I'm pretty sure that this Samaritan knew that what he did wasn't going to make a dent in the nation's crime rate. And nor was it likely to lead straight away to a moral and spiritual transformation in the nation. Now, as he did this, he knew that in all likelihood, three individuals would be affected by what he did here. The wounded traveler, himself, and the God who sees and knows all. But that was enough for him. It was enough. So should this be enough for us? Should it be? Well, apart from the fact that to please God should, I think, always be enough for us, let me also give you just another two reasons why I believe it's vitally important that all of us should do the perhaps little that we're able to do. First of all, there's that simple illustration of a dark night and a lit candle. Candle. Because one candle can pierce the darkness. One candle can make a difference. I've found that out, particularly while visiting rural villages in India, that absolutely no electricity, right out in the middle of the country. And the darkness there was total, without a candle, without a torch of some kind, you literally couldn't even see your hand right in front of your face. And you know, one candle makes a difference. But a multitude of candles can make even the darkest night dazzlingly bright. You see, if we all do the little that we are able to do, then by meeting needs where we can with Christ's love, we can bit by bit begin to change the world. And by this church beginning to to meet this community's needs right here, I believe we can play our part in seeing Hamilton begin to be changed and in seeing Scotland begin to be turned back again to the Lord. But you know, maybe world changing is still too big, too abstract a concept for you. Well, how about coming from a, a different angle with a different perspective? The help that you give can change the world for one person. The help that you give can change someone's life experience and can change their perception on life. You can do that by the help that you give. Well, finally, let's look at the hands. Let's move on and finish with the hands. And this man does two 
basic things with his hand. First of all, he bandages this man's wounds. And then second, he does the equivalent of of writing a cheque or of maybe I'll leave in our credit card details. And both of these, I think, are excellent ways of overwhelming apathy, overcoming it and keeping it at bay. Excellent ways. That is first, physically getting involved in a ministry. Physically getting alongside people who are hurting and needy. That can warm the coldest heart. That can soften the hardest heart. And so often leading then to memories that will last a lifetime. Memories that will never leave you. It will help to ensure your heart never grows cold again. And I know that there are people here who've been involved at different points in their life in serving in mission or in mission trips. Who've been involved in caring ministries. For whom the memories of this live on and are a continuing inspiration. But you know, there are more opportunities opportunities to be involved in ministry and in mission now than there have perhaps ever been before. There are opportunities to get involved in children's work, youth ministries, opportunities to serve in the, the job club and other caring ministries right here in this church right now. Right now. And today, mission agencies offer more mission opportunities than they ever have. Short-term beginning. Things that can last and take as little as a fortnight of your holidays where your hearts are almost bound to be softened and filled again with the love of God. And you know, once you've tasted this, usually you want more. And not surprisingly, increasingly, this is the route down which people have travelled to long-term mission service. And then there is financial involvement. I think this is as good a place as any to begin this process, to begin to get love flowing in your heart, a kind of spiritual warming up, if you like. For as Jesus said in in Matthew 6.21, he said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's as true in this context in a particular way. That it's as you begin giving to a ministry. Well, so as you do that, your interest in that ministry, naturally, inevitably, it begins to sharpen, to develop. It begins to grow. As you give, you want to know more about what's going on. You want to know more about the people who are involved. And you want to pray about their problems. You want to pray into their life situations. And as a result, inevitably, apathy just melts away. Just recently I heard or read of the story of a church in the United States that was involved in a ministry in the Dominican Republic and the pastor and some other leaders went out to check on on how things were going. As part of this, they, they visited a family, visited a lady with three children. And she herself had been born in a little 10 by 12 cardboard shack. And she'd lived there in that shack all of her life. She got married and what they did was they threw a a, a rope over a corner which meant they had a a bit of the room to themselves and they couldn't afford anything else. They just had that little corner. And through time, three daughters were born. Eventually, her husband deserted her. And as a result of that, her every day was devoted to the sheer drudgery of just getting her daughters enough to eat. Every day. 
this pastor was there in this shack with the family. And one little girl, as they were sitting around, began to wake up. And the other uh, leaders were talking to the woman. And so he began just to stroke this little girl's hand. And he began to, to talk to her as he had to his own daughter when she was the same age. And suddenly he said as he did this, this little girl wasn't just a number anymore. She wasn't just a statistic. She was a mirror image of his own daughter. She was a child who mattered to God and who mattered at that moment so much to him. But I want to ask you, can you imagine how he felt then? Knowing that that day they'd gone there to break the news to that woman that through her church's giving and work that they had built a home for her and her daughters. Not a big house, not a fancy house, but a solid little house made of concrete and cement with a kitchen and running water, bedrooms, everything. And this, this man also told of, of similar but, but different situations where he was along and he had at meetings, people there giving thanks to God for Christians who had cared enough to do that which for them meant life transformation. I say, listen here. We can do the same. We can be part of something the same. Our lives don't have to be ruled by apathy. No, our lives can be filled again to overflowing with that life-changing love of God. That can happen. And it begins right now. If only we turn to him and truly open our hearts. Let's come pray Father we just want to thank you for the truth of your word and for the inspiration of the experience of other Christians and Lord you know that apathy is a, a big problem in our society today and it's something that kind of creeps up on us bit by bit and suddenly rather than being a different people we just live like the world around us and we're listless and disinterested Father we pray Lord, fill us again with your love. Set us on fire for Jesus. Give us compassion for those in need. Work through us and in us and glorify the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.